Self-motivation tips. How to get out of your comfort zone on a consistent basis. This program is dedicated in memory of my beautiful wife, Rivka Batleya. This is written by Seymour Dorfman, our good friend, dedicating the class to his late wife. And in memory of her and in honor of her beautiful family, may all the words here serve her well and serve them well and serve us all well. Comfort zones. One of my favorite topics. The very word comfort zone elicits feelings of comfort, of coziness, of warmth, of nurturing. And who in the world wants to get out of their comfort zone? Have you ever seen somebody that says, I'd love to get out of my comfort zone? We're often forced to get out against our will, but willingly? And yet, and here's the great paradox, and yet, Every form of growth in life requires getting out of your comfort zone. Because if you don't, if you stay in the regular, in the routine, in the conventional, then nothing new is born. You get more of the same, more of the same. As they say, nothing changes, then nothing changes. One of my favorite expressions is, if you think what you thought, and if you say what you said, And if you do what you did, what will you have? What you had. So the very notion of growth, of movement, of change, in any form or fashion requires somewhat leaving the past, which is the comfort zone. but, But it's extremely difficult. And that explains why it's so difficult to break habits and patterns and routines Because we underestimate the enormous power of inertia of the status quo. It exerts tremendous power. Why do we underestimate it? Because it's invisible. When you see someone pushing you, or you sense or feel a thrust one way or other, so then you can resist, you can fight back, you you can strategize. But if you don't feel that energy because it's just sitting there, you're not moving, you're stagnant. You underestimate. You can say to yourself, you know what, it's not that strong. I can move any given moment. But when you try, very, very difficult to move. And even if you can get inspired and motivated to maintain, and hence the title, in a consistent basis. To get out of your comfort zone short term, for a few minutes, for a little while, is one thing. But its power is so intense that we don't even recognize it until we really try to change something dramatic. Try Try breaking an old habit. Try breaking an old pattern. Reacting differently than you usually react. It can be done, and we're going to discuss how. But the first thing is always know your enemy. Know thy enemy. Awareness is half the problem. If you're not aware of the problem, or you underestimate the problem and its challenge, you will continue to repeat it. Not because we're malicious, not because we don't want to, because we don't recognize what we're facing, what we're dealing with. So, here's the dilemma here. I like to be a nice guy who wants to make other people uncomfortable. And yet, the greatest thing, the most loving act you can do for someone you really care about is to prod them, to push them. Not in an angry way and not in an offensive way and not in a condescending or judgmental way, but to prod them, to push them out of their comfort zone. 
Who is it that coined that business card? Sometimes people use it for me. And that is, I make miserable people happy and happy people miserable. That doesn't mean miserable in, this, in the rat sense. It means taking them out of their self-assuredness, um, assuredness, and self-confidence that everything is fine, everything is good. But who wants to do that? Why rock the boat? Why rattle somebody's, uh, ruffle someone's feathers? Why shake them up? They're comfortable. But real growth only happens when you're not comfortable. And I say discomfort, I don't mean a discomfort of a negative sort, of pain, of anxiety, of, uh, of anything that is harmful or destructive, but a discomfort more on a psychological, emotional level because you're seeking more. So that discomfort, the restlessness of the human spirit that seeks transcendence, that's not satisfied with animal bliss is what we're addressing here. But when you're comfortable, whatever reason, it's very difficult to move because you just convince yourself, hey, everything is cool. So that's the dilemma. How do you balance the two? Show it's an act of love and yet help somebody motivate them to move because that's the key to growth. Even if we tell people getting out of your comfort zone is the key to growth, that still doesn't mean, so say, of course I want to grow, so I'm ready to pay the price. You don't see that happening automatically because the comfort zone, the inertia of the status quo is stronger than the wish to grow. So at best you have a battle, and who knows who will win. So we're here going to discuss what can be done in a way that's sustainable and consistent to be able to get ourselves out of the comfort zone. Now, many of you will say that's an impossible feat. Maybe you can convince me to push myself or have others push me because of the benefits, the long-term benefits, I'm ready to pay the price. Yeah, that's the usual conventional way of how it's done, a type of push for excellence so you're ready to pay the price, whether it's athletes or in business or musicians. Whatever it is you're doing, you need to get yourself out of it. Everybody would like to sleep late. But if you're not going to succeed, then you definitely won't excel. So we need that discipline. We don't want the discipline per se, but we want its results. So the results dictate, I'm ready to pay the price. I'm ready to exercise every morning and run and sweat and all the discomfort to endure because my body will be in better shape. My body's in better shape. I feel better. Others like me. Better for relationships. All the different reasons. Vanity, not vanity, doesn't matter. The point is there's a motivation. But we're going to go deeper. Because ultimately, as I said, at best it's a battle. So you have two voices. And one is not always going to always win. So we need to find something that's as powerful as the inertia, as the invisible energy of the status quo inertia of routines. So where are we going to find that? Is it enough just motivating that you're going to make billions of dollars, which is not always guaranteed? What will, where will that come from? So we have to dig deeper in the human spirit itself to find something that we have already inherent within us. Because here's the rule. Inherent strengths will always win long-term over acquired ones. If you're inherently wired a certain way, so yes, you can train yourself and discipline yourself not to follow that temptation, your natural wiring, but what you, what you, what you acquire, but, but the, the, the training is something that's acquired, and acquired is always something superimposed, and therefore not as powerful as your natural inherent self. There's the classic analogy they give with Aristotle, philosophers, 
They were discussing whether you can train animals to have the discipline and self-control of human beings. And one argued, one philosopher said, yes, give it time, give it training. You can train an animal that usually is instinctual and impulsive, follows its emotions, to, tra- to uh, be self-controlled. And he went ahead, this is an analogy, he went ahead and trained a cat, a cat, to become a waiter in a restaurant. Now cats walk on all four, to be trained on walking on two, be trained wearing a tuxedo, be trained to carry it with elegance, with dignity, be trained not to succumb to the smell of the food, but basically to behave in a, in a, in a uh, trained fashion that serves the role of a waiter, that can be in a fancy restaurant, and serve the people. And he's so proud of his years of training, he finally trained the cat. He's ready to open up a school, perhaps, for training cats to be waiters or other uh, services, service uh, providers. And he's sitting with the other philosopher who argued that's not possible at the restaurant. And then he sees, look, look at this cat. He's waiting on us. He treats us respectfully. And he's amazed. That's right. You're right. The cat is. But the other philosopher came prepared. He had a little bag with him. When the waiter, the cat, came over and served the meal, the main course, he waited for that. All nice and good. He opened up the bag, and suddenly a bunch of little mice came scurrying out, running in all directions. And what do you think happened? The cat dropped the tray, dropped on all four, and just went back to his impulsive chasing those mice. With that, the philosopher proving acquired skills cannot beat inherent ones. You can train it for a period of time, push comes to shove, or under the right circumstances, we all gravitate back to our natural inclinations. So with that said, yes, you can say a person's drive for success and excellence counters the natural inclination to be comfortable. So you have yourself, as I said, two battles. I'm sorry, battle of two sides, two voices. We're going to introduce something further, deeper. It's not just the drive for success and excellence. That is a factor and could be a motivation. But what happens when you've achieved excellence or you decide that the price is too high? There has to be more than just the motivation for success. There has to be something deeper inside for us to really prevail. And that creates a true consistent and constant way of getting out of your comfort zone and growing. So what we need to do is dig deeper into the human psyche and understand what are our drives, what makes us tick. So let's go back to the actual discussion of a person's comfort zone. Where does that come from? So as I opened up, you can say it comes from that natural inclination to be comfortable. A, a child, nine months, in its developing and formative stages as a fetus in its mother's womb, is completely in a comfort zone. It doesn't have to eat on its own. It doesn't have to drink on its own. It doesn't have to breathe on its own. Its immunity system is taken care of by its mother. It's completely engulfed, surrounded by the embryonic, in the, within the embryonic fluids that protect it. No effort of its own. And it develops. So you can say with that attitude, and then the child is born, and hopefully to healthy parents, and the nurturing only continues from the moment of birth. You bring the child home, it's hugged, it's adored, 
it's cherished, it's honored, protected, in a warm bed, fed, all its needs. So based on that, you can say from the earliest stage, not the earliest stage, even from the moment of conception, there's a certain element of comfort that allows the child to be nested in, it, in, in its hearth and nurture in the process, which is so vital for the child's self-confidence and self-esteem, just being validated, feeling it belongs. We know the tragic and dramatic and radical effects when a child is deprived of that, like a flower deprived of water, it withers. So too, a child deprived of this nurturing, this nest, this comfort, this being comfortable, can cause long-term effects in every aspect of that person's life, relationships, and so on. So you can argue that's our natural inclination. So as we grow older, that's what we want. However, because we know that to succeed requires a price to pay, an effort, some exertion, so we do that in order to succeed, as I mentioned before. But that's not the entire picture. What's missing in this is that everything we're talking about so far is survival. The survival of the child is dependent on that nurturing, on that comfortable. And that's what it looks for. Comfort creates a certain nurturing, and so we survive well. We live well. Living in the street, you're vulnerable, and therefore that creates panic or fear and other things. When you live at home and you have a comfortable home, the comfort of your environment is validating. It lifts you up your spirits. But again, that's survival. What else is there about a human being? Goes back to the bigger question, why are we here? Are we here simply to be comfortable? And to work as hard as possible to succeed. But the end of the day is, again, to be comfortable. We're working to create even more comfort, more wealth, more possessions, more options. That joke they tell about the guy that was a small little hamlet of a town sitting and uh, his favorite pastime was fishing, sitting at the edge of the water, his feet dangling down. Every morning he would go and do his fishing. He enjoyed it. That catches sheer, sheer amount of fish. He was able to eat some of it, save some of it. Great. One day an entrepreneur comes to town and he's watching. He's looking around. He's looking. And he sees this guy. He sees a very good fisherman. He catches fish quickly. He knows what he's doing while others are struggling. He knows what he's doing. And he sees day after day. That's what he does. He comes over to him with a proposition. Listen, I see you catch fish. I see that you eat it. I see you don't have any big plans or dreams. I have a proposition for you. Let's make a partnership. Let's go into partnership. You know the skills. I have the money. Let's go out on a boat and we'll catch much more fish than you do at the shore. And then you'll take whatever you need for your, for your meals, for your family, and the rest will sell, and we'll split the profit. Interesting idea. The guy looks at him, okay. And what happens then? Let's say we do that. He says, look, you'll have money. You could do other things, other options. And then what? He says, then we'll train others who will work under you, and they'll go out in other boats, and they'll catch even more fish, and we'll have even more fish. We'll make even more money. And then what? We'll have a whole fleet. To, and then what? At that point, we won't even need to go out any longer. I can go back where I come from. You can go back to whatever you want to be doing. And you have a whole crew who's working for you. And we're meanwhile making a lot of money. And then what? He says, then what? Once you make enough money, you can retire. 
and you can retire and then go to fishing. She says, I'm fishing now. Why do I have to do all that just to retire and go back to fishing? So very often we work hard. I remember once a fellow coming from Romania, he was a baker, and he told me, you work half your life to make the money, and then the second half of life you spend it on your doctors. I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but the idea is clear. You spend all the, you work all this time to do what? To go back to what your favorite pastime was. He was at home. He was peaceful. He didn't need all this. Now we all understand the value of money, but it's a means to another end. So many people say, "I'm making money to be comfortable," but you're already comfortable even with all you had less. The point is that it's always limited. So what would, what what we we need to introduce here? What I would like to introduce here is another dimension to the human being that isn't just about nurturing and comfort and so on. And I'll preface it with an interesting debate in the Talmud. The Talmud is filled of these theological, psychological, and uh, legal, mystical even, debates. So there's a debate between the two classic sages, Shammai and Hillel. These were two sages in the early times of the Talmud, the Mishnah, and they had different uh, disagreements, all peaceful disagreements, but different approach to things. And once the question was put in the academy, the question was, is it more pleasant to be born or not to be born? In the Hebrew, nuach la'adam shenivra or shaleinivra. Is it more pleasant for a person to be born or not to be born? And what is the basis of the disagreement? Shammai says, better, more pleasant to be born. And Hillel says, more pleasant not to be born. What is the basis of the disagreement? I'm sorry, Shami says more pleasant not to be born, and Hill says more pleasant to be born. The base of this agreement is that b- b- life is difficult. When you add up all the problems and all the challenges and the crises of all sorts in our lives, it often adds up to a lot more than the joys and the happy moments. So Shami argued, when you add it all up, it's much more pleasant not to be in this world, to remain a soul in heaven, and not come down to this world with all its trials and tribulations, pains, illness, disease, poverty, corruption, abuse, the list goes on. Hillel argues it's still worth it because of the beauty in this world, and there are many noble things and beautiful things, therefore more pleasant. Now usually in the case of an argument between these two sages, at some point the Talmud determined that Hillel, we follow Hillel's opinion. But here is one of the exceptions, one of three exceptions where we go follow Shammai. That's more pleasant not to be born. So then, of course, the question is, why are we born? If that's our legal ruling. So the Alter Rebbe, in explaining this de- debate, Rabbi Shneir Zamal Vliadi, in his classic work, Lekut Torah, he explains two things here. First of all, what, what is the real meaning, deeper meaning behind the, uh, uh, the debate? And more importantly, why then is the ruling not like Shammai? Why are we born? So he focuses on the word nuach in Hebrew, pleasant. Yes, it's correct, it's more pleasant not to be born because of life's challenges. But it's more meaningful to be born. So if you talk about pleasantness, Shammai is right. In most cases, and maybe all cases, in most cases you calculate it mathematically, it could be that the challenges in this world outweigh the, the beauties even though the challenges can also be to develop deeper growth and so on. But that requires point number two, that we're not talking about pleasant. If you're talking about comfort zone, Shammai is right. But if you're talking about purpose and meaning, 
A life in heaven, in paradise, doesn't have any challenges. So you're sitting in your comfort zone. Everything is provided for you. There's no challenges, no difficulties. You never earn your way. So it doesn't have the, the quality of life. It doesn't have the value, a deeper value of having earned your way, having struggled and found the deeper purpose, even in your challenges. So comfort is not the end, the end and all of it. Comfort is one piece of it, and everyone should be blessed with comfort, but the real pe- question is, why are we here? And that gets down to the real nature of the human being. The human being is not comfortable with just being comfortable. As much as we like our comfort zones, we always become more restless. And not just because we're looking to make money or to be successful or because we want to be recognized. There's something about the human spirit that's restless. And that restlessness is inherent within us. And that restlessness, as we explore this, you'll see, is actually the more powerful force within a human being. And that's where we can develop a consistent motivation to get out of our comfort zones. Because recognizing that purpose, which is defined in our physiological and psychological and emotional and spiritual makeup, that we are restless creatures. Now, just for comparison, I remember I'm a New York boy. I grew up in New York in a city. In a city, you don't see many um, things besides humans and a lot of pavement and concrete and man-made structures. Yes, we have our share of animals. You have squirrels. You have pigeons. You have cats. You have dogs. You have, uh, I'll mention rodents as well. And you have some insects that we all deal with. You don't have the full breadth of a wilderness, far from it. So as a young man, and I remember traveling, going up north to the mountains during the summer, I was always intrigued when the first time I saw a cow. You don't see cows walking in the streets of Manhattan, or Brooklyn for that matter. I'm talking about animal cows. And you don't see other animals. You see them, pictures, movies, online, etc., so intrigued, very intriguing. I'm looking at these cows grazing in a meadow, off the road, off the highway, and there's a certain peace about them. And I began studying them. I remember even stopping and looking. What am I seeing here? There's a cow grazing in the field. Not a half hour, not an hour, not just during lunch break, the whole day. And you start thinking, what is this cow thinking? What motivates this cow? And what motivates the cow is essentially to breed, protect its young, feed, and bring up the next generation. If it's a milk cow, probably to give milk. And what are the purposes that you can define the cow's life? But the cow is very calm. Animal bliss, no neurosis. The cow does not need therapy, does not complain, doesn't have a bad mood. It goes consistently like a clock. I'm sure the cow goes through its fluctuations, but generally speaking, it's a pretty stable life. It's not seeking to buy another house or a car or getting the better iPhone or Android. Definitely not texting and looking for all kinds of new gadgets and entertainment. Does not feed the entertainment and media industry. Doesn't care about breaking news and so on and so forth. There's a certain calm that immediately could be envious of it, but which human being would like to be that way? You do that for a little while, you go crazy. We may dream about it, and we'd like it for a little while, but not complete full time. 
I remember reading uh, this guy went to one of these Iron John, or one of these uh, weekends, a wealthy a CEO of a company, a big company. And he booked, he paid top dollar to do what? You go for a weekend and you, uh, you, you, you uh, bond with men. It's like regaining the masculine energy, not being a wimp. You grunt, you wear, you wear uh, hides, you wear um, like natural leather, and you're grunting and sweating and climbing mountains to get back to that primal force. You yell, skins, I was going to say. You, basically getting back to that to natural male energy, masculine energy. And he comes away after the weekend exhilarated and reinvigorated, comes back to work. And he's sitting and talking to his, uh, his team, his colleagues at a meeting. And uh, one, of the, one of his business was also construction. And he's talking about how he really enjoyed the sweating and, and exerting himself. So one of the workers is saying, boss, you want to sweat and work? Come down to, to, the, to, the, to the work site where we are, and I'll show you sweating. That's what we do all day. So the CEO says to him, no, I don't have time for that. This weekend, I scheduled months ahead. I penned it in to my calendar, and I did it. What did the worker say to me? He says, listen, boss, if you sweat when you want to sweat, that ain't sweating at all. You're sweating as part of your comfort zone. That's not sweating. Sweating is when it's not in that type of place. So when we look at the human being, we're very different than these animals. Look at also just the physiological structure. A Hasidic master once said, one of the Hasidic rebbes, an animal never saw heaven because they walk on all four. So their face is mostly usually facing downward. Sometimes they look up. Yes, we know giraffes or monkeys maybe, but giraffe is still looking down. It's just a taller animal. Now, why are they physically that way? Because spiritually, that's what they're wired. They don't look up to heaven. They're not curious to know what's above and beyond. They are survivors. Their function is functionality. To survive, to bring the next generation, to protect their young, to breathe, as I mentioned. So they don't need to be looking up. Why would they be looking up? Human beings walk upright. And as such, we look up and we see heaven all the time. The expression in the verse, raise your eyes to heaven and see who created you. We become curious to the point that our curiosity, we spend trillions of dollars to develop a NASA or space programs of other countries to do what? Just to satisfy human curiosity. What's out there? Who's out there? Is there anyone out there? Is there life on other planets? And what's going on in the, in the solar systems and beyond? And we're just curious. Now, it has developed many new industries as incidentals, but that was not the reason that we went to the moon or we send other spacecrafts on different missions because we want to know what's out there. Animals are never part of that equation because they don't care. Not because they're indifferent, because that's not how they're wired. So the human being has a natural inclination for something beyond us. We'll call it transcendence. And where does that originate from? It originates from how our soul is made up, our actual psyche and soul. In the words of the Proverbs, the soul of a human being is the flame of God. It's a divine flame. Think about that. Ner Hashem nishmat adam. What's a flame? Think of a flame. It's the only physical item that we can see with our naked eye that defies gravity. It flickers. It rises. It does not fall. Yes, there are gases, helium and others, but that you need to put in a balloon or you have to 
you have to do other things to make it evident. But the naked are the flame. So you look at a flame. Flame is always rising. And if we're not, we're not for the wick, the flame would expire. So the wick can be compared to the body, to the material human part of us, our um, corporeal self. And the soul is the spiritual self that seeks. So like the flame that's flickering and licking the air, so too is a part of us that seeks to go outside of ourselves. What is there beyond us? And we want that. And we search all types of ways to gain that. If we were purely in our comfort zone, we would be completely self-contained creatures and satisfied like animal bliss, but we're not. We seek love. We seek validation. We seek growth. Some things we seek are not always healthy, but we seek. We're seekers. We want something beyond, something transcendent. We're not satisfied with animal bliss. We're not satisfied with the status quo. At the same time that we're so comfortable there. And that's why we seek. That's why we search. Transcendence. Now, in the life and the busy lives we live, we don't always have time for it. So we're working, we're working the fields, just like the cows work their fields. But then comes the evening, or comes the weekend, or comes vacation, or comes a holiday, or, or whatever it is that we break. And there's something we look for. And it could be in romance and love and sexuality. It could be through reading, art, travel, music. It could be through other means, and it could be through religion and spirituality. But it's something you're seeking beyond yourself. True love, as I've discussed in other programs and other classes, is a search for transcendence. It's not just another need. It's the search of something greater than yourself that you can only receive from another. But that's not what I want to focus on. The point here I want to make is that there's something natural about us that is also defying the comfort zone, defying the status quo. And that's as part of us, if not more, than the part that likes its comfort zone. Everything in this world is, in a sense, always moving. Even the animals that I just described in all sorts, everyone has that animal bliss. But the interesting thing is, they, never, they don't go up, they don't seek more, but they also don't go down. You'll never see any of them saying, I'm lazy today. I want to become a couch potato. I don't want to do anything. They're always active. It's not the restlessness of the human being. The human being has both sides. We, we are restless creatures and we want more, which animals don't want, but we also can actually, I say destroy, we can compromise, and we can undermine our very restlessness by saying, no, I, what I'm seeking for is to do nothing. So when a restless soul wants animal bliss, it's much different. Animal bliss, that's what's meant, animals are meant to have animal bliss. When human beings seek that, then it's destructive to what? To the restless flame. Imagine telling a flame, no, you can't flicker. You tell a flame, no, you can't seek. What would that be besides if you, imaginary comment? It'd be extremely painful. Extremely painful. Go against the grain of its very nature. It's like bottling up a person and say, I'm going to tie you up. You can't use your faculties. You can't seek. You can't look. You can't search. You can't look for transcendence. But human beings, in their own ironic way, part of their restlessness is to seek out, yes, I'm just going to retire. I'm going to do nothing. Can't resist the joke. This old man is sitting on a bench. And he's like, you know, in a very bad mood. His friend comes over and says to him, what are you in a bad mood today? He says, my wife is very angry at me. What is she? She says, what's the news? She's always angry at you. Now today's something special. What happened? She asked me in the morning when she went to work, she said, and what are you going to do today? Yankel. 
Jack? And I said, nothing. And she looked at me and she said, you said that yesterday, that you're going to do nothing. And I told her, I wasn't finished. I wasn't finished doing nothing. So she got very angry. We have this weird part of us that we're seeking. We see it as some form of accomplishment, achievement, to do nothing, to be a couch potato. I wish I was just a couch potato and I shouldn't even feel guilty. I should feel completely at peace with it. That's where it takes this macabre turn, bizarre turn. Our restlessness is suddenly being used to destroy very part of what restlessness. I remember a cardiologist comes to, used to come to my classes. Very difficult life, the sweetest guy. But a difficult life at home, at work, he had all kinds of challenges. He says to me, Rabbi, one day, bless me one day, just a peaceful day. I haven't had peace in my life for years. So I looked at him. We were friendly, so I was able to make this joke. I said to him, you mean like a flat line? That piece? She said, no, 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 no. As a cardiologist, as all of us know, what's a flat line? A cardiogram, when you look at a healthy heart, a flat line is death. You want to see waves. You want to see cyclical waves and symmetrical ones. Yes, if it's too high peak and too low valley, that's out of balance. But you definitely don't want a flat line. Life, by definition, is movement. Now, for the animal kingdom, that movement is in an orbit around survival and around perpetuating their species and other things I mentioned before. For a human being, that movement is, includes transcendence, looking for the stars and beyond, trying to touch heaven and beyond. True transcendence of the highest sort, and there's never a limit. You have this, you always grow, you want more. That's why we've transformed this planet. Animals are happy in the same habitats. They're not looking for fancier homes with more bedrooms. Two homes, a country home, two cars, even one car. Better fax machines, better te- technologies, better iPhones, better smartphones, and all that we've developed. They're comfortable. Human being, the sky's the limit and beyond. Because our orbit, our restlessness, our souls, they also have. But theirs is that orbit. And they move. Like the seasons change. Animals have each one their trajectory. The humans can take it out of the stratosphere and beyond. Because we have a soul that's a flame, and a flame that, sees, that never ceases to flicker, never ceases to move, never ceases to search. Relentless. That's the healthy human being. You try to suppress that, we're going against our own nature, and it will always have consequences. It has to be balanced, like the wave of a heartbeat, like the balance of our breath. Exhale and inhale what the Kabbalists and the Hasidic masters call rotze and shuv, a type of tension and a resolution. To seek, to return. To look upward, and then to internalize and integrate. This is the process. And it's vital, it's the essential lifeblood of all life. Everything is pulsating with energy, even the subatomic particles. I say even, I mean, actually they're the only ones that are always pulsating. But I mean, even things that are so inanimate and so small, microscopic, the universe is a living, breathing organism. But much of the universe follows its clockwork, like the seasons. And the human being can take it to a completely other level because they have a spiritual nature that can elevate, can also destroy. As I said, both extremes. So that spirit is an inherent part of the human being and arguably, and I would say even more than arguably, definitely more powerful than the tendency and the temptation 
to stay comfortable. So it's not just to be rich and to be successful. It's because it's who we are. So as much as we resist going out of our comfort zone, there's a part of voice inside of you that absolutely wants to go out of it. Because it didn't come here to be comfortable. It came here to be meaningful. It's not about how pleasant life is. It's how purposeful life is. And as such, that demands always going outside of yourself and seeking more, which means the man's going out of your comfort zone. So then you'll say, so why is it so difficult? Why don't we want to do it? Because we're not aware of that voice. We see it pop up its head here and there in our different transcendent interests. We don't recognize its potency. We don't recognize its potential and it's how it's a powerful force inside of you waiting to be released. And how when it's not released, it is the root and cause of so many of our dilemmas and so many of our neuroses, and so many of our conflicts, because it's a tension and energy within us that wants to express itself. What happens when that doesn't happen? It implodes. And it could take on all kinds of shapes, in anger, in fear, jealousy, rage, insecurities. You name it. You name a vice, and it's most likely a, a deep-rooted vice, a deep-seated vice, most likely rooted in some form of suppression. Suppression of what? Of this powerful, powerful energy that needs to be fed. An energy that wants to change the world. And we see it. Look at younger people, younger children and even teenagers, how they have that idealism, like a rebel without a cause. And then slowly we throw cold water, the adults teach them, don't get so excited, calm down. And idealism wanes as we get older, just like our arteries harden, our dreams dissipate. That's a tragedy. Because your soul never dies. Your soul never weakens. As a matter of fact, it gets more powerful as we get older. The body can weaken. But the soul is an infinite form of energy. It's a piece of infinity. A fire that's willing to, wants to, create a spiritual revolution. And either we don't know it, or if we know, sense it, we suppress it, or other things distract us. If we were in touch with that, that's what we would embrace. The expression is, goes, we're not physical beings on a spiritual journey. We're spiritual beings on a physical journey. If we were fully aware of it, that's what we'd be looking for. We'd be looking to go out of our comfort zone, not because we don't want to be comfortable, but because we know our purpose in life is to build greater than what our comforts can bring us. And that's a part of us. But when we don't know it, of course we gravitate. You're going to gravitate to the path of least resistance, the path that's most comfortable. But when you're aware of it, you can no longer suppress it. And then it's like a fire. In a good way. Pioneering. Bold. Daring. Looking for great change. Everyone in their own way. Not everyone is of the same nature, but everyone has that. And that's what we're looking to uncover. And when you uncover it, that's the key. That's the formula. That's the blueprint for finding true transcendence. And that's what gets the, motiva- that's the motivational element. So it's one thing to motivate people. You know, you give them different tricks or different pep talks to succeed. You need to pay the price. You have all the different cliches and bumper stickers. And many of them are true. But if you can touch that part in the soul and trigger the very essential part of who you are 
and allow that to come alive, then there's nothing like when something you're passionate about, then it's sustainable. Then you're going to stick to it. Then you're going to look every day and say, what can I do today that I didn't do yesterday? How can I... <coughs> Excuse me. How can I improve? How can I grow? Not because you just want to grow, because it's who you are. Transcendence. You're not looking for the animal bliss. You're looking for, wow, beyond. And every day the beyond grows. And your appetite grows. And your soul becomes more powerful. And seeks more as you climb the mountain to see broader and more powerful horizons. So my friends, it really comes down to how we look at ourselves. Look in the mirror, you may see a little limited part of yourself. Look in your spiritual mirror, the x-ray of your soul, and you see a fire. You see a flickering fire, one that's licking the heavens themselves and seeks to grow. Our job is to allow that voice to be expressed. And to do that, you sometimes have to lower the volume of the other voice, which is material voice, of that is often like the wick that limits that idealism from growing, that limits our boldness, that creates more fear, more calculation. So how do you expose yourself to it? Learn about your soul. Every morning when you wake up, say that short one-line meditation or prayer, thank you for returning my soul to me. Thank you for giving me that force inside of me, which is and gives me purpose in life, not just pleasantness, purpose. And I will do whatever I can throughout the day to acknowledge that and to make that soul come alive and how when you're kind to other people, you share a meaningful thought, you're compassionate, empathy. All this brings the soul alive. You seek ways to improve your life and other people's lives in a beautiful way. You're more giving than taking. These are all soulful activities. The more you immerse yourself in soulful commitments, the more that voice in you becomes more powerful and the more you want. Now, the truth is also in the material world, someone has a million, they want two million dollars, which has a similarity. But there, you're getting more material and here you're getting more spiritual. And it's not a contradiction. God should bless everyone with a lot of wealth, a lot of success, a lot of comforts. But to know that's not your purpose. The purpose is that growth. And you push yourself and you enjoy it. It's like a loving person wants to always give more love. You don't say, you know what, I've given enough for, my, for the day. My quota, I've hit my quota. When you really love someone, you don't say that. You only say that in the contract. I've done my obligation. Real love is, I want to give more. I want to grow. I want to develop further. So the more you feed that soul, the more you're aware of it, the more it will begin to speak back to you and prod you on. It will be your best motivation because it will keep telling you, hey, there's so much more you can achieve, so much more you can actualize. And it's not about just self-fulfillment. It's actually transcendence. There's so much more you can transcend. It's like when you climb, you get the appetite builds. You climb up the mountain, you see an horizon. You say, hey, I want to see more of that. You go higher, even more. The higher you go, the more you see and the more you want to see. That's the process. And that process is an exhilarating journey. That is the way we create getting out of comfort zones in a consistent manner.
For more information on this and more resources, go to www.meaningfullife.com where I've discussed this in different angles, other tips. But be, join us in this journey of accessing and discovering the most powerful part of yourself, the part of you that is a transcendent nature, always seeking, always seeking to go out of where you are and to grow, to shed lo- previous layers of skin to assume new ones. And we see this as a partnership, you and us, us at the Meaningful Life Center. If you haven't been here before, check it out, explore. Like explore new terrains, new horizons. You'll definitely enjoy visiting MeaningfulLife.com. If you are with us and you know us well, we continue the journey. never ends. And please like, share, communicate with us your suggestions, your thoughts, your comments, your feedback, your critique, and suggestions, even different programs that we can do to help us all grow our souls, our transcendent nature. Really feed it and nourish it. And let us be the best we can possibly be and even beyond that. So this program is a weekly program that is then arch- a live, pro- live broadcast and then archived for your listening or viewing pleasure at any time. You can download it. It's a podcast on iTunes or other, all other platforms that are out there. And it's always an honor and pleasure to intersect, to cross-pollinate, to intermingle and interconnect with other dignified souls. It's a journey that we all need each other and each of us is needed. Thank you very much. Everyone be blessed. Thank you.